Welcome back to the 24 Faithful podcast. As you will no doubt notice, Josh is not here this week. Um, so you're joined today by me, Bradley Adams, and of course by Joel Wood. Joel, how's it going? It's going good. I wish Josh hadn't started and decided to play hooky, you know, at the last minute, but I guess it's a great okay. part of this as well that the listeners will not know until we tell them here that we are recording this podcast an hour later than we were meant to, or we usually do, uh, because Joel had a meeting that was going to run late. Oh, sorry, Josh had a meeting that was going to run late. And now he decided a couple of hours before that he can't be around. So, so, ba- so, so basically, we had this meeting an hour later for nothing. Precisely, yeah. So, okay. Josh has done as well there. That's great. I'll be sure to thank Josh about that next week. <laughs> but we're here now, uh, and we are here to talk uh, a little bit more about season six. So last week we covered episodes seven through twelve. This week we're heading into thirteen through eighteen. And where we left it last week, we talked at the end about the assassination attempt on Wayne Palmer. But over back in CTU land, Jack Bauer had been uh, taken prisoner in the Russian consulate by Anatoly Markov's people. He had gone there to interrogate Markov. Uh, directed to him by Charles Logan because it was said that Markov knew information about Gridenko and that by talking to Markov and interrogating him, that CTU would manage to get to Gridenko and to Fayed and to the, nu- the three remaining nuclear bombs that they have together. So that's really the place to start. We didn't really talk too much about Markov last week, but I really love the interrogation that, he, uh, that Jack does. And then not a whole lot else of it, I have to say. Well, I mean, Jack pretty much gets captured and and pretty much every season, right? At some point. Yep. So this this left a little to be desired because it reminded me at the end of uh, season four, you know, when they raided the Chinese consulate. The only difference is, is that I guess you can say Jack got caught this time. So it's a little it's a little bit different, but. It's, a, it's another one of those hanging threads. Like the, the, the issue with Jack and the Russians pretty much plays out to the end of the series. So even though this isn't the incident that caused him to go on the run, but the incident between Jack and the Russians and Jack and the Chinese pretty much plays out from now to the end of the series. So it's Anatoly Markov. You kind of knew you know, he has that look of a villain, like he looks like somebody that's up to something. So I thought the the phone call with Yuri, Suvorov, Logan, two guys that I didn't expect to be on the good side of things. But I guess for season six, they decided to, you know, have them play the good guys. So I thought I thought it was interesting, but I didn't particularly like the – fluff i didn't like the the filler of jack being taken down and then taking out the two guards and and all that everything from the moment jack got captured until the phone call from yuri right before doyle raided the consulate everything in between was just kind of fluff to me just kind of filler in my head i'm replaying the end of season three and wayne and um whatever, I can't remember his name, which is really bad for me, uh, going to Sandra, uh, to 
wow, I'm doing really badly with names, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Josh. <laughs> I have really, really replaced Josh this week. Anyway, that, li- <laughs> that line of um, it's an historic moment. And I'm, and I'm thinking that because I actually agree with you. We're, we are in agreement on something. And the reason, in term, just to elaborate on your thing of, of <clears throat> the filler, the thing that really bugs me about that episode, 6 till 7 p.m., is, you know, aside from the fact that this is very clearly, let's do season four again, but different. And there's, you know, Logan mentioned it to Jack, like, you've just spent 20 months being interrogated by the Chinese, now you want to risk that happening again? That kind of doesn't make it okay that you're acknowledging it. But anyway, the reason I dislike 6 till 7 p.m. is that the entirety of the episode, for I think probably the first time and only time ever, everything for Jack is complete filler. And what happens is nothing happens. He starts the episode about to be killed and escapes that. And he spends the entire episode, his entire storyline is, I need to call CTU. I know about the bombs and Gradenko and the Mojave Desert and all the Shadow Valley or whatever it is. He knows all that information, needs to tell CTU. So he goes around looking for a phone. And before he's actually able to make the phone call that will tell CTU the information, Doyle rescues him and he tells Doyle and Doyle tells Bill. And so it just like, I don't know whether it was Kiefer was unavailable for a week or they just thought, let's see how it works if we sideline Jack for a bit. It does not work. It really does not work. And it also bothers me that you know there's a lot in the season of timing issues. And there are a lot of instances where uh, end of act split screens kind of pick up four or five minutes later within the show. But like nothing, you know, it's, it's the, the actual storyline picks up where we left it there's nothing nothing's happened in five minutes essentially um no phone calls no directions no sort of traveling whatever that that happens quite a bit and here what happens is that martha calls anya suvarov and she talks to she, she explains all the situation to anya and then she explains the situation to yuri and then he calls markov and all of that from start to finish takes 24 seconds it takes longer for from the moment that Bill puts down the phone to Yuri after he sanctions the assault on the consulate to Bill telling Doyle he can go in. That's 43 seconds. That takes longer. And I know that this, you know, people I'm sure will look at me and think that's oddly specific and just kind of go along with it. And OK, fine. But it also doesn't it, it adds to my feeling in this episode that it just feels unnecessary, that it's rushed and just like we need to get from A to B. We need to get from Gradenko's in the desert to let's go and find Gradenko in the desert. And this is how we do it. And there's not, it, it just, it doesn't work at all for me. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. What you just said. I did not keep the exact uh, second by second breakdown of everything that happened in the episode. So I, uh, I only did it for those scenes because I'm like, well, that's taken no time at all. Okay. Did you uh, did you see how much time it took from you know from Martha to stab Logan in the shoulder? <laughs> uh, no, we're not. We're not skipping over that part. Didn't we talk about that last week? I kind of feel like we talked about that last week. Did we not? That that literally happened right before she talked to Martha. <laughs> yeah, but I feel yeah, I don't know. Any, uh, it's it's ugh, not great. <laughs> 
I thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we definitely did because I was frustrated that Logan just gets ignored for three years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, I thought it was kind of ironic that Logan was essentially asking Jack, you know, Jack, do you want to raid the Russian consulate? You just spent 20 months in a Chinese prison. Like, Logan was the one that 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 set that whole thing in motion where Jack had to fake his death and then come back before he was being captured again. So Logan is just as much a part of that as anybody. So I thought that was uh, kind of funny. Jack, Jack doesn't know that, though. So Doesn't he, though? No, he doesn't, know that, he doesn't know that Logan did it, I don't think. When when David warned him that he was about to be killed, didn't he say that Logan was behind it? No, what I mean, what I mean is that I don't think he knew that because like we talked before about Logan and Graham orchestrated the plan for him to be kidnapped by the Chinese at the end of season five. He doesn't know that Logan was responsible for that. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, but I, I will agree that it did seem like there was some timing issues, um, like it. It felt like, like to me, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's just me, but it seemed like Doyle set his team up rather quickly at that consulate. Um, I, I felt like either either Doyle is the best field agent that they've ever had, or <laughs> there was some timing issues there. Um, so I, I felt like that might be a little off, but the whole episode to me. Like I said, other than the phone call and the actual rating of the consulate, the entire rest of the episode just felt just felt kind of there. Like it wasn't – I know they had to get through it because they had to get Markov in custody and they had to get Jack out of the consulate. There, was a, there were objectives that they had to achieve, but I felt like, a lot of that episode could have probably been cut and it wouldn't have uh, affected the overall flow of the season. Mm. Now, from this, we get into, obviously, the actual finding of the drone and Jack and Doyle finding the location of where they're piloting it from and stopping it. And again, I'm kind of just... Meh. Like, the, the Jack piloting it is okay, although it's a little bit Flight 520. Kind of feels well-handled, generally. <laughs> But it, I don't know, it just feels empty. And this is something I want to talk more about when we wrap season six in the new year. But by this point, to me, the nuclear bombs don't feel like a threat at all. I don't ever, I, you know, putting aside the fact that I know they're not going to go off. I don't watch the episode and think, I, I don't feel the tension that they're going to go off. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. The... For, for some reason, maybe it's, maybe it's just me being cynical, but the drones felt like a secondary proposition the moment Charles Logan came on screen. As soon as Logan, as soon as Logan came on screen, the drones felt secondary to me because it always felt like there might be something bigger. Um, because when Logan came on screen, you were immediately reminded of the nerve gas conspiracy and the death of, of David Palmer and Tony Almeida and Michelle Dessler. 
and the whole conspiracy that's been going back since pretty much season four. So when he when he showed up on screen, even though he was there for the purpose of finding those finding um, what's his name Gradenko, got it, finding Gradenko and those drones, it always felt like a secondary goal as soon as as soon as you saw Logan on screen. You're right. And it's a little bit season four with Marlon and the nuclear, the warhead and the missile and them discovering it out of nowhere with four, with sort of 50 seconds left. But you are right. There is also always something else happening that feels like it takes priority. And one of those things is possibly the worst storyline in 24, and that's Brady Hauser. And it's not the know, worst. I, it's up the there. Worst, for me. The worst, the worst storyline is by far Tony Almeida being a villain. But we'll, well get into that. We'll, we'll we get haven't into come that anywhere next. near that yet. Yeah, um, you know, I, I got nothing against Scott Michael Campbell who who plays Brady. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm not. Quali- I don't feel qualified to judge whether his portrayal of it is realistic of autism or whatever it is on the the, the autism spectrum that Brady's character is. Um, but he certainly nails what they're going for. I can I can see what they're trying to do with it, and and he's good at it. But it just, it's so difficult to watch. I, you know, Jack Jack threatens him to his brother Mark, and that's fine. You know, that we, we, we've seen him do that with vulnerable people before. We, we, we'll see him do it again. I've got no issue with that. But it's, it's then him having to deal with it and putting him in this very dangerous situation where Grenenko could quite easily kill him. There is so many things that could go wrong. And, you know, Jack looks uncomfortable with it. He does, he... I think this is probably one of the few things in 24 that he does that even as he's doing, he thinks, no, this is not right, but he knows he has to do it. Of course. It's just, it, it's, it's not fun to watch from that perspective. And I just don't find it enjoyable in any way. I don't know about you. Um, I don't know anybody with autism, so I can't really speak on that part of it. Um, but there's very there's very few instances in the history of 24 where Jack does something and then immediately regrets it. Like he knows that he's not supposed that he's not supposed to do that, but he also knows he doesn't have a choice. That's kind of who Jack is. So, you know, this is season six by now. So by now we've gotten kind of used to that. But at the same time, it doesn't make it any easier. And I'm not sure. I mean, I know what the objective was, but I'm not sure if they couldn't have went about that a different way um, because it's, it's not something that I particularly enjoyed watching. But at the same time, it fits who Jack is. I mean, remember this is this is this is a man who is going to take Stephen Saunders' innocent daughter into a hotel room and get her infected, and said he was going to watch her die just to get what he needed. Um, he didn't want to do that. You could see it on his face that he didn't want to do that after it was over. But he had to do what he needed to do to accomplish his objective 
Yeah, no, it's a fair point, and and that's a good comparison. It just feels like obviously Jane was very innocent, but it feels like this is a a next level of innocence. You know, Jack talks to him like he's a child, and there's a lot of there is that feeling about it, and it it, it just feels really wrong. Um, and and you know, to to talk about if if we were going to compare it to sort of the worst ones, you know, you look at say Kim and the Cougar, where where you know criticized for its quality as much as you want but you look at that scene and it feels really out of place and terry and the amnesia which i don't hate as we've talked about before but it again it feels out of place and this is one of the, another one of those things that feels out of place jack threatening to take jane storms into the charm Pasta hotel feels very in keeping with 24 and jack and the whole way the show operates this this just feels prodded into the middle. And it's the first time actually those other scenes, you know, Jack's not involved in these. These are kind of B, C plots that you can kind of ignore and say, well, the rest of it's good. Let's, let's just forget about it. As I'm sure you do with those, those early season ones, this, it, 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 it dominates that episode. It dominates this part of the storyline. It dominates the search for Grudenko because it's what leads to them finding him. So it's kind of hard to look at it and go, well, yeah, they didn't quite get that right, but oh well, you know, everything else worked. Because as we talked before, and, and as I strongly feel, a lot of this doesn't work. And this being Jack, this is the main body of it. Yeah, this is not one of those scenes where, like I said, I understood what he was trying to do. But this is not one of those scenes where I think they should have taken it out. But I think that they they should have reshot it or done it a different way, um, you know, to try to make it look like Jack wasn't, I guess, taking advantage. I guess would be the proper term, taking advantage of um, what's his name, Brady, Brady, yeah. Brady. yeah. Um, Try to make it not look like he was taking advantage of Brady. Um, well, it doesn't help that Marcus' brother does it as well. Yeah. But at the same time, you kind of expect that from brothers. Not, I mean, when you're even, se- not when you're selling like nuclear power plant information to terrorists. Okay, I'll give you that. But he's still, but they're still brothers. Um, I think it. I think it would have worked if Brady was just not didn't have any sort of autism spectrum. He was just like Mark, and Mark just I don't know blackmailed him or just like convinced him into doing it. Sort of in any sort of way. I think that would work. And if Jack's put a sort of a civilian that he can talk to in the way that he would with most people and not have to feel guilty or less guilty about putting someone who is clearly very innocent, clearly very unaware of the, the, the scope of the situation and everything that he's been involved with and the danger of it all. I think that would have worked better. I don't want to say that it would have worked, but I think it would work better. So essentially you're saying that it would have worked if he did not have a disability. I think what it does is it makes the show feel you know i said before about the the feeling of gratuitous torture in this season and that's there but i think it's the 
it, here it's the gratuitous taking advantage, like you said, of someone who is very innocent and very much needing his brother's help and needing, <clears throat> excuse me, needing Jack's help in the situation that his brother has got him into. It, it feels... It feels very inappropriate, I think. Well, first of all, I will never agree of that there is gratuitous torture, okay? <laughs> I do not believe in there being gratuitous torture, okay? I love anytime Jack tortures somebody, I'm there, okay? I'm 100% all in, all right? Because he always... No matter how many, no matter who he tortures or how many torture scenes he has, Jack always seems to find a way to make it different than the last one. So that's why I love Jack torture scenes. Okay, all there. That being said, I think he could have done this differently because I don't think that. I think if he would have just, maybe maybe even if he would have just been like a a young punk kid who was rebellious, who, you know, thought he was, thought he was a bigger tough guy than he actually was. And then Jack put him in his place. That would have been entertaining television. I would have, I would have bought into that. I would have thought that was funny, but the way, the way that they did it with the guy with, you know, a disability, even even during the time which season six would have came out, what two thousand seven? Yeah. Yep. Even during the even even for the time, I think it was a little bit too much. Um, something like that would never work today. Um, but I think even for the time, I thought it was a little bit too much. Um, but then again, it in a in a gratuitous kind of way it fit who Jack was and how desperate he was um, to get what needs to be done because you you got to remember he's 20 months fresh out of a Chinese prison so he's not he's not going to I guess you want to say think as clearly as he probably would have 20 21 months ago um so I'm going to chalk it up to another one of those situations <laughs> <laughs> that he wasn't thinking very clearly. Um, but yeah, wasn't, wasn't a big fan of the, the Brady scene because not, not, the, not that Brady was involved, but just the circumstances around his character uh, probably could have, uh, could have done without that. And of course, all of this does lead to Jack apprehending Gradenko. Yes. And then it takes them into finding Fayed. Just on Gradenko for a minute, because I'm, I'm going to say something that you're not going to like, I feel. <laughs> um, it happens every week, Bradley. Yeah, it does. Is Gradenko the worst villain on the show? Like, are we, are we talking like all time or just this season? Yes, all, all time. <laughs> uh. Because I'm struggling to think of a single thing that he does. I, I don't. I don't know about 
that, I mean, uh, Margot wasn't really that intimidating of a villain. Um, I forget who the villain of season eight was. I mean, the villain of season eight did kill the Camistanian president, to be fair. So he achieved his objective. Gradenko, for me, you look at Fayed, and we, we, we established from the very start that he is intimidating, and actually Fayed is, is a very good villain in this season. But Gradenko comes into it. He's mentioned before he, a few hours beforehand by Graham, I think. And then he comes into it, and he's sort of lording over everything. He's talking about how he's essentially uh, Russians are the greatest, um, but we're also going to, you know, we're going to take down America. We're going to cause America to fight with Russia because we don't like really, we don't really like the Russian government either. Um, and, you know, we're using the Arabs, we're using Fayed because it's convenient for us, but also they're kind of the worst as well. So we kind of don't really want them. And then he, I mean, he's the one who acquires the drones. Okay, fine. And he launches one, but they do that hurriedly and it doesn't work because his side of the operation got exposed. The drone didn't hit its target. They couldn't launch the other two. You know, the other two just stopped being a thing because Jack comes across the, the drone pilot and the technology that they're using. And then he gets really caught easily into this Brady trap. He gives up instantly. He doesn't even take questions. He just goes, yep, I'll, I'll give you what you want. And then he gives up CTU to Fayed instantly. He doesn't even go along with it. He doesn't do anything. He just absolutely says, you know, I've been turned, but we'll still get out of here. And then he turns on Fayed instantly in the bar. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I don't understand. I don't know what his single motivation is. He wants, he wants America to fight with Russia, but he's also being incredibly incompetent about it. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Help me out. (laughs) I've just just remembered. Sorry. I, I was getting it wrong. He doesn't want them to fight with Russia. He wants them to fight with the, with, uh, the Middle East, the America and the Middle East. That was his objective. Uh, he just he wants them to fight for somebody. That's all that matters. Um, <sighs> I mean, I probably would have. It probably would have been better had Bayed probably been the the main guy the whole time. Well, I mean, he is he is the main villain. But Gradenko's existence steals focus. Yeah, but I don't... As a secondary villain, I think Gradenko... First of all, he doesn't he doesn't coincide with a lot of Middle Eastern villains that just, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to break. I would rather die than tell you. You know, he's not, he's not one of those. Um, but he doesn't provide much to the season. Um, they probably they probably could have used anybody in that spot. Um, I thought Gradenko had potential. You know, they could have done a few more things to make him more menacing of a villain. Um, 
maybe maybe have Rodanko be the one behind the attempted assassination of Wayne Palmer instead of those two lower level White House douchebags um, <laughs> that just disappeared and we never saw again. Um, so maybe that could have made him a more menacing of a villain. Um, but other than that, I don't think um, I don't think much could have been done. Um, because as a secondary villain, he didn't really provide much in the way of content. Um, and every and every plan he seemed to come up with seemed to fail. So he's so he's not he's not good in the planning stages either. So it's it's kind of you wonder kind of why he's there because he doesn't he doesn't provide much in the way of help to Fayed, and he doesn't accomplish very much in the grand scheme of the season. Um, like there's not, there's not a singular incident that you can look at two or three seasons down the road and said, yeah, that was good. But remember when Gradenko did this, um, like, you know, we're in season six and we're talking about the, the warheads from Marwan and we're talking about Steven Saunders and we're, you know, we've talked about the, the Drazens in multiple seasons Rodeco's not the type that you'll talk about one or two seasons down the road as remember how good of a villain he was. Gradenko does do one thing for Fayed. He helps him fail. Because before Gradenko, Fayed, okay, accidentally, um, not as scheduled, detonates a nuclear bomb. And then he almost detonates a second one that we haven't talked about that we will talk about because I have thoughts when we come to the end of season six. Sure but, you, you know, he, he, he's used his two, two of his nuclear bombs. And then what happens is that Grudenko comes in with his drones and it takes a couple of hours to find the drones. And then it takes an hour or so more for the drones to get to where they need to go. And then it takes two more hours or so for the drones to actually be built and ready and actually launched. And then they can't use the drones anymore because Grudenko's man got caught. And then Fire doesn't actually do anything with the bombs because he gets stopped and everything kind of filters through Grudenko. And, if, you know, it's something Fayed realizes far too late that Gradenko is a waste of time for him. But you are right that you look at, you know, I was trying to think there about the comparison between when Erwick gets taken over by Bjerko. And Bjerko spends a lot of time in the shadows. And actually, when you look at it, he's not sort of the, you know, the, the, the Marwan caliber villain, Stephen Saunders caliber villain, but he is fantastic. And I, and I love Julian Sands. But you look at Erwick... And he's kind of the secondary villain of the season in, 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 in terms of the nerve gas actually being used. And Erwick, at least, you know, he had the attack on uh, the mall and you had those four episodes where he was very menacing. Whereas with Gradenko, his entire existence is delaying Fayed and we need to stop Gradenko. We need to catch Gradenko. We need to find Gradenko. I don't think there's ever anything to him beyond that he's the person they need to find or one of the people they need to find. It's never really it's never really clear to me beyond the fact that he's working with Fayed and loosely helping Fayed that mm-hmm. there's a reason to catch him, you know. I it doesn't sit right with me. Uh well it, it doesn't sit right with me either but 
Because like I said, Gridango doesn't really provide much in the way of content. But at the same time, I'm trying to think of who they could have put in his spot. And I can't really... I don't know why you need anyone. Well, I mean, every season has a secondary villain. But the way I look at it is that, you know, we we had Darren McCarthy in for three episodes and his sidekick. And they served a purpose. The trigger mechanism for the nuclear bomb got destroyed. They need a new one. Okay. McCarthy comes in. McCarthy's got obviously got this backstory of being involved in selling nukes. Fine. Whatever. That's that's part and parcel. Fine. But McCarthy within the actual episodes has a purpose of I need to find an engineer to reprogram the tr- triggers for the bombs so that Fire can use them. And he comes in and you know he gets killed before he, he manages to achieve it, but him and his psychic between them do achieve it with Morris and Fire gets his bombs armed. All is well, okay? But Gredenko Gredenko kind of lingers. He doesn't feel like there's a second... There is because sort of he comes in for a reason and then he disappears. He kind of... It's like they're trying to make them share the stage when we've already established that Fayed is actually really good as a villain. He's he's really interesting and he's well-played and he's very threatening. He's very threatening and he causes the single most damaging event in 24 history so how can we not take him seriously as a villain but Gradenko just is there to steal the limelight I think Gradenko would have worked a lot better as whether it's with Raid who is a really good actor or someone slightly less high profile that just comes in for two episodes provides the drones and then Fayette gets on with it that kind of feels like the ideal scenario with it yeah but at the same time how many times in 24 history have we had a main villain that has been the main villain in episode one, stayed the main villain all the way to episode 24? Well, no, because, you know, we, we lose we, we lose Fayed in episode 17 and Cheng takes over and Philip comes back yeah. and all of that stuff. But Fayed is the longest the longest existing villain within a season as a villain, if that makes sense, in that he's a villain at the start of episode one and he gets yeah. killed off at the end of episode 17. He's and one every- of the longest running villains. Yeah. Yeah. He's one I mean, of the longest running villains. If you exclude the likes of, you know, Mandy, who is across multiple seasons, Charles Logan, who's across multiple seasons, within one season as a, I am the season's villain, no one has a longer episode span than he does. I mean, even even Mandy, I don't think has been in in as many episodes oh, no. across multiple no. seasons as Fire did in that one season. No, but it's like seven um, years of twenty four time. Yeah. Um, so from from that perspective, he's he's definitely one of my favorite villains. Um, I thought his story could have ended a little bit better. I, w- I actually wouldn't have minded if he was, you know, the villain throughout the entire season because I could have done without that Philip angle. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but putting that aside, you know, I thought he was a pretty, pretty good villain. I just don't think that putting him with Gredenko, I felt like they should have put him with somebody whether it be giving McCarthy a little bit more rope or 
bringing somebody else in. Maybe um, maybe you don't have Hassan switch to the good side, whatever the case may be, because I thought that was kind of forced. Um, but I felt like they could have put him with somebody because he was such a good villain. Like even, even Marwan back in season three, he didn't really – you know, he 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 was a thread that dangled throughout the entire season. I mean, he was the villain. He was the main villain from episode one, but you didn't see him in episode one. You know, he had the he had the family with Beirut and his father and, and whatever that lady's name is, Dina. Dina, Your favorite. Yes. Yep, yep. Love Dina. Um, <clears throat> so you had those. You had those, and you had little. I won't say full-fledged villains, but little um, people to do the dirty work, so to speak. I thought Fire could have used one or two of those to kind of flesh him out and kind of make him more of a more of a unit as opposed to him just having a bunch of no-name people load up the drones that we don't really learn about. Um, so if I had one if I had one critique of of Fire, that's probably what I would what I would do is they probably should have put him with a better sidekick, so to speak. Um, I don't think Rodenko was the the right sidekick because of the fact that they didn't do enough to make people care. They didn't do enough to make people think, "Oh, crap." He's, you know, he's actually a, a menacing villain. You know, this guy almost assassinated the president. You know, maybe it's time we take him seriously. Um, they didn't do any of that. And I thought I thought that was probably a missed opportunity because they could have done more with Grudenko, but all, all they made him out to be was like a, you know, grumpy uncle. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> that is an exceptional way of describing it. I like that. <laughs> that, that. That's all. That's all he. Lo- that's all he looked at. He, he was always angry. He was always yelling, and you know he was like a grumpy uncle. I like that. Of course, we get rid of Fayed, and moments later, we are introduced to our next villain of this season, and it's the return of Cheng. And of course, Audrey's alive as well. Just you know, by the by, in case anyone missed that. Oh, she is. <laughs> I get the sense that you don't like this. I mean, it's 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 not that I don't like it. It's just I could see it coming. Like I could without even watching the season before. You could tell that Audrey is not the kind of character that they're just going to kill off-screen. You know, I mean, unless unless something happens contractually where she refuses to come back or there's a money issue or something like that, I just can't see Audrey being the type that they would just kill off camera. Um, so when they told Jack that you know, Audrey's dead and, you know, he looked at the photos and, you know, in the photos, conveniently, you never see her face. So I kind of... Even without watching the season before, you can kind of get the idea that she's not actually dead and that she's probably being held captive. So it's not it's not one of those surprises that is really a surprise. Because if you had been paying attention, 
to the previous five seasons, you could probably guess that she wasn't really dead. Because, I mean, how many deaths have we had faked on the show? So let's I think, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, Kim Braver was in all 24 episodes of the previous two seasons, and you alluded to the fake deaths there, you know, Victor Drazen was dead, and then he wasn't. Syed Ali was the burning man, and then he wasn't. Um, Tony died, and as we'll like establish times. in the new year, he didn't. You know, there there are so many of these. Jack, I suppose, in a way, there was the note at the end of season five, the the photo of Edgar and Chloe, and there's an inscription on it that obviously a, an in joke from the producers and the and the the prop team that it says Jack is dead, and you know mm-hmm. he's obviously not dead. Jack Jack died at the end of season four, and Jack is not dead. So yeah. you are right in, in that respect of it's a fake death, and you know there wasn't really a. <laughs> I was going to say there wasn't a body, but we've seen bodies and those characters <laughs> still will come back alive. But you, you, but yeah, you are right that it's a photo and it's, well, yeah, okay. The Chinese have said it's Audrey, but okay, sure. Let's yeah, yeah believe that. Of course, of course that's what they said. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of had the idea as soon as they, like if they would have never mentioned Audrey, it probably would have been a surprise. Yes. Had they never mentioned that she was, that she died, you know, in, in China or, you know, showing him the file or anything like that, then it probably would have been a surprise when Chang came back and had Audrey with her. But when you bring up the story of her being, you know, dead, it kind of, it kind of gives it away. Three episodes before as well. Yeah. That, okay. Well, she's not dead, (laughs) you know? So it, it's one of those, I guess they wanted to, keep Audrey's name alive before, but it's one of those situations to where they probably would have did a better job shocking the audience had they not mentioned her name at all. Um, Because I don't really think that they needed to. I mean, they could have had, they could have had Jack ask about her and nobody know where she's at. You know, they, they could have done that. Um, but when they when they brought the file about her being dead in a car accident, I mean, really, even if they did kill her off screen, a car accident, really? I mean, let's <laughs> let's be honest. That is television um, and film's most common fake death method. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's 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 be honest here. It's it's not really. I mean, it's not something that you would believe even if you hadn't seen the season, and. As soon as they, as soon as they mention that, you know, I'm like, okay. So how many episodes before she comes back? So when Chang actually came back and revealed that he had Audrey, I was like, okay, so this is this is the route they're going down. Even though that's precisely what I knew as soon as they mentioned her being dead. Um, because for as many for as many main characters that have died in 24. Just as many have faked their deaths, <laughs> so it's 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 one of those that and the nuclear attack and the mole within CTU. Those are three things that twenty four goes to just a little too much <laughs> for my liking. They are the twenty four staples, and you know this is another. This is a a way of getting Cheng back into it when his relevance had completely expired. Everything to do with Cheng came out of the consulate attack and um, wanting revenge, justice, whatever you want to call it for the death of Su Ming, not Su Ming, Ku Yin, 
one of them can't remember who it was i, I forget which was sure. the i, I forget who, i forget who was actually killed and who was the the deputy it was so long ago um but Cheng wants you know justice for him and he got it really because he had jack for 20 months but it went nowhere because jack doesn't break and Cheng returned him because wayne traded whatever for it and and he's done like he's he's finished and he comes back into it now and he's relevant again and he becomes relevant for the rest of the show and like you said about Audrey having to come back and that stuff I mean it feels to me like well let's just throw everything in the kitchen sink at the wall and that's what this whole season is it's just let's throw everything at it and I talked before about season five being sort of relentless in how much stuff it has and season six just does that and and a lot of it doesn't land this is an example of it the one thing that does work for me is that the conversation between Jack and Wayne when he agrees to the exchange and the suicide mission, essentially, that is one of the best scenes in this whole season. I feel like season five, you know, I think we can all agree is the best season of 24. But it also feels like, even though I was, even though I was a fan of season nine for the most part, it felt like, they could never regain that momentum after season five. And I thought that was disappointing um, because, you know, you're riding off such a high on season five, you know, it's, it's very easy to drop off a bit, but not drop off as much as they did. I felt like season seven and season eight had its moments, (laughs) but I felt like just after season five, I just felt like they never regained even half of the momentum that they had in season five. Um, Because season five was by far the best season of the show. And I just, you know, after season five, you had such high expectations. So anything short of, you know, balls to the wall action in season six probably would have been a disappointment. I just didn't expect it to fall off as much as it did. But the scene where where Jack, you know, essentially for like the, I don't know, 10th time, you know, agrees to risk his life for a mission. And every time he does it, he always seems to knock it out of the park. Every time he has one of those suicide missions, it always seems to be one of the best scenes of the season. Because he just he just plays it so well. Because he plays he plays it so conflicted. Like he wants to save his country, but at the same time he doesn't want to die. But he knows that he probably needs to die for the country to be saved. So he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I think that he always seems to play off of that really well. Especially when you consider the history that he has with Wayne and his brother. Yeah. Well, let's enjoy this week because we talked about what I described as one of the worst storylines in 24 history. And we get to talk about another of the contenders for one of the worst storylines in 24 history. And um, sorry to everyone who feels like I'm being quite negative here, but there's there's a lot of negativity in my mind, for a lot of these uh, these episodes, this was a masterpiece, lines. Bradley. A masterpiece. 
look, the thing about it is that it's utter nonsense from the beginning to end. And what I'm talking about, of course, is uh, Wayne Palmer's recovery from his near-death assassination attempt and the subsequent demise of Wayne Palmer. Wayne Palmer instantly is dead. That is confirmed in a newspaper clipping in Redemption. Um, but, but yeah, so Wayne is in the coma, just to establish some story here. He's in the coma and Karen isn't happy that Daniels is going to launch a retaliatory strike on Fayed's country. And so she gets Sandra Palmer to instruct the doctor to wake him from his coma. Then there's a leadership battle with the 25th Amendment. And then Tom blackmails Daniels and then Wayne is fine. And then he's not fine. He's very clearly not fine from the get-go. And then he collapses in front of the world. For those of you who can't see uh, the video, Bradley clearly looks like he has a headache. <laughs> um, yeah, he's rubbing he's rubbing his temple like he's uh like he's clearly not excited about what is to come. I hate every um, single second of it, Joel. I, I, I just, every <laughs> every scene. Okay, just it's. I tell you what it is. It's not even necessarily that it's bad, although it is bad. The, the thing that really grates me about it is that it's sickening in its inevitability. We watch, it's, you know, Dr. Wilson agrees to do it and then Wayne crashes in his coma. Like he, you know, something goes wrong. And that's 15 minutes before he's on the phone, he's revived. And it kind of feels like, well, if it didn't seem like a bad idea before, why do you still think it's okay now? And then, you know, from the moment he's awake after that, He's struggling. He needs a shot of adrenaline. He's got trembling hand. He just, you know, he, he can't really stand up. He's struggling to move around. He's, he, he, he sort of holds into the wall for support. And you just know from the start that what's going what's gonna to happen is that something's going to go wrong and he's going to end up suffering permanent damage and some sort of serious effects. And it happens in... Ugh, I mean, the press conference is horrible to watch, knowing especially, knowing what it's going to happen. And it starts so well as well. Like He's really triumphant. He's really presidential. And then he starts taking questions and the music goes and he goes from triumphant to anxiety. And then he collapses and he can't speak and he stutters and, and, and that's it. And that's the end of Wayne Palmer. And it's just, it feels horrible to watch. Okay. Well, I'm Joel Wood. Okay, <laughs> I'm the positive one. All right, my Twitter handle is uh, at Gifted Money. Okay, so uh, send all your positivity there. Um, Bradley Adams, on the other hand, is the negative one. Hang so on. please, just to, just to establish so it, that you throughout this podcast have generally agreed with my negativity, but this is where you're drawing the line in the sand. I'm drawing the line in the sand of Wayne Palmer. Okay, please, everybody, send all of your hate tweets to add Bradley underscore Adams TV. All right. That's who you need to send all your hate tweets to because I will not sit here and stand for this blasphemy of Wayne Palmer and his presidency. All right? Wayne, Wayne is great. Wayne's it, inevitable it was a demise. Travesty. Yeah, it is a travesty that he got brought out of his coma too early and Karen Hayes basically killed him. But not basically, she did kill him along with Dr. Walton and her, his sister. 
that's well, no, that's not. That is. No, it's not what happened. Those two White House douchebags <laughs> hadn't have made a plot to blow him up. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't have died. That's true. But if they hadn't brought him into the coma, he might have survived. They blew him up. <laughs> he survived that. But what he didn't survive was being brought out of a coma four hours after being next to a bomb. Yeah, but even before they brought him out of the coma, when they asked the doctor, he said, you know, it's not looking good. You know, he's crashing. And so but, this is even... my, but, this is, but this is my point, that he thought he was okay, and then he crashed, and then he still went along with bringing him out of the coma. And just from that moment, from that it was moment... a matter of national security, Bradley. Well, tell that to the, the doctor who ended up killing the president. You know, from that moment there never feels like there's going to be a different ending than Wayne Palmer collapses and or, or dies on screen or whatever. The, the only reason that he actually survives sort of this season, as it were, and nothing's confirmed until redemption, and it's in a newspaper clipping that you might miss very easily, the only reason that is a standing mandate from Fox that you don't kill a sitting president. And obviously, you know, it's fiction, but Wayne being the sitting president doesn't get killed. He can't be killed. David gets assassinated. He's ex-President Palmer. Wayne can't get killed because he is the current President Palmer. That's the only reason he survives. Okay. I do remember that mandate. But at the same time, that doesn't change the fact that you said Karen and the doctor and, and Sandra yep. killed him. When in reality, if he hadn't been blown up in the first place, he wouldn't have died. I mean, I, I wasn't a big fan of Noah Daniels myself. Noah probably would have been better if we had uh, waited a bit. But having him as president right after we just got done with Charles Logan for two seasons, you know, it's kind of, okay, we just got rid of one villain for a president. Now we have another one. The thing with Daniels and why it doesn't work is it, it is relation to the coma that Daniels' worst moments come when he's contesting Wayne's leadership. Like he, the, the whole 25th Amendment thing is all about the policy and the fact that he wants to retaliate. And he kind of fakes caring for Wayne's well-being, but he doesn't actually care about Wayne's well-being at all. And, you know, he makes some, he makes some questionable decisions and I'm not keen on his stuff with Tom at the start and the pressing of the ambassador. And again, the racial politics, well, we have not yet discussed, but we will that none of that's great, but ultimately he feels like, you know, he has that firm hand as a president. He actually feels he, he's okay, but it's just in this little section where it becomes a leadership scrap over a president who absolutely should not be out of a coma. He should not be leaving the country because he physically cannot do it. And so it proves. And, you know, when we get into the next week's Saxon episodes, actually, Daniels is quite good. He has his moments, but I generally don't like him. Okay, uh, you're, a, you're a Wayne fan, just in terms yes, of... Yes, I my, am a Wayne fan. But just in terms Bradley. of my dislike of this story, do you enjoy watching him struggle with the fact that he should not be out of the coma? It's been four hours since he was nearly blown up. And then him standing at the podium and not remembering the reporter's name and stuttering over his words and stumbling and falling over and collapsing and ultimately dying. Do you actually, do you enjoy watching these scenes? Well, I thought they should have never blown him up in the first place. 
<laughs> but, but that's by and by that that happened. But this is I, this is where we are. I figured I I wanted them to just leave him as president throughout the entire season. I mean, let's let's be honest here. I mean, presidents, you know, throughout the history of twenty four, I don't think a single season has gone by that there wasn't an assassination attempt on the president. No one tries to kill. Lo- mm. Does anyone really try and kill Logan? Jack kidnapped him. Well, that's, that's, that's about as much of an assassination attempt as you're going to get. No one, no one tries to kill David in season three. He was president in season three. He was. Yeah. He was. yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Like anyway, I, I, I'm whatever. Just, I'm just taking this. Point, to, I'm just taking is, this is that you agree with me that the Wayne coma scenes aren't great because you have not explained that you like them. So I'm taking that to say that you didn't like them. Well, don't don't ever assume anything, Bradley. <laughs> um, I thought the coma scenes could have been cut, could have been left on the cutting room floor. But that is mainly because. <laughs> so that's that that's is that revive him. That is mainly be, that is mainly because I thought the assassination attempt on Wayne Palmer should have been left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> okay. So that, by and large, means that I was not a fan of the uh, coma scenes. Excellent. That's all I wanted to hear. So, I think that they should have had maybe one coma scene where he was brought out, where he was brought back. And that's it. <laughs> the struggling, the, you know, he's going to die. Okay, we know he's going to die. But can you bring him out of the coma? <clears throat> I thought that they, they should have had just one scene, cut it, shoot it, be done with it. Well, I'm glad that you spent most of this podcast in agreeing with me. I think that is an absolute first. I think actually you've agreed with me more in this podcast than we have in, I don't know, 30 odd before this so that's quite nice don't get used to it no i won't um so hopefully josh will be back with us next week um (laughs) this was this was good it's fine in the meantime if you have any thoughts on season six or anything that you want to or anything 24 that you want to throw at us um, especially the hate tweets (laughs) at bradley underscore adams tv all your hate tweets go directly there any thoughts head to 24faithful.com all of the contact information is on there, our email, our Twitter handle, and, of course, our phone-in voicemail line. Um, but we'll be back next week to discuss the final four episodes of Season 6. Uh, join us again then.